You're listening to The Recovered Life Show, the show that helps people in recovery live their best recovered lives. And here is your host, Damon Frank. And welcome back to The Recovered Life Show. It is episode 101, Friday, April 22nd, 2022, with my Friday. co-host, Christina Dennis. What's going on? Oh, you know, celebrating Friday over here, Damon Frank. How are you? We are celebrating Friday. We were just having a conversation before about excited that it's Friday. It's been a long week. It has. It's been a long week. Well, how has your week in recovery been going? What's what's been going on? (laughs) Well, my son went back to school because I would actually say that the week before felt a little longer because it was spring break, you know, (laughs) and spring break meant I had to take care of him. And so uh uh, this week has been fantastic. We've had great discussions, lots of really, really good conversations, which I love. And uh, I have to say that I've enjoyed it every every day. Well, it's been a great week in recovery. We got a lot to cover here in the show today. Two really great segments. Uh, one is more of a medical statement uh, segment up front, which is good. And then, of course, we've got TGIF Sober, where we talk about our week in sobriety. So looking forward to episode 101 with you. There you go, triple digits. Before we do that, I want to let everybody know this show's being brought to you by Recovered Life contributors like me and people like you. Please keep sharing, liking, following, and leaving us a comment so we can continue to bring fun stories to you. Also visit info.recoveredlife.us. You can join the network, which is completely free, and leave a donation that allows us to keep doing this. That's info.recoveredlife.us. I have to tell you, Christina, every time... I check the little app on my phone and I see that a new person has joined the Recovered Life community, puts a little smile on my face because we're reaching so many people. So if you're listening to this uh, replay on a podcast or this is your first time listening to the Recovered Life show, we want to welcome you and please join us at info.recoveredlife.us. And there's uh, all this great information about us on there and a way to be able to join the community, which you can do for free. So uh, thank you so much for mentioning that. Look, you brought this story up to me uh, and it was a study. And you know how I am with medical studies. I read about one Uh paragraph. Yes. I read about (laughs) one paragraph and then I ask you and then I say, hey, what is this about? Well, in the title of it, the majority of adolescents with severe substance abuse don't grow out of it kind of seems obvious to me that if there isn't some type of treatment, that we aren't just going to grow out of it. And if you go a little further into the study, um, it shares about how they followed cohorts of seniors in high school till 50 years age and realized that if they had substance abuse disorders, let's say they partied a little too much and they supposedly grew out of it, that they, they actually were on benzos and all kinds of things. They were abusing prescription drugs. And well, I this fills into the blanks, Christina, about who's been <laughs> following me. Since high school, <laughs> you, it's the University of Michigan who put this. It report. is, it is, and they say that this is a major wake-up call. But I think that's, you know, for me watching it, it's kind of like, no, we know. Um, some of the statistics are that they estimate a third, one in three of Americans will have a substance abuse disorder problem in their life, which I think we we have brought up lots of news that shows that. But they talk about twelve percent of eighteen-year-olds have severe substance abuse. And I know we're not doing everything we can do in that area. 
Well, you know, it's interesting. Like you said that it wasn't really a shocker. When I read this, it wasn't, honestly. It's not mm-hmm. an aha moment, as Oprah would say, right, for us. It's not because, we're, you know, being in recovery and, you know, also doing coaching recovery, we know that most people that have crossed that line that are younger aren't able to really go back, right? Maybe, no. maybe there are some people, like I'm not going to say everybody, but you know, one of the things that we see a lot is people that will cross line, get sober very young. And when I'm saying young, 13, 14, 15, yes. 16 years old, before before they're an adult, before they actually can drink legally, right? Yep. And they'll get sober and they'll stay sober till their late 20s, early 30s. And then they'll say, well, maybe it was just a fad. And then right. they're right Guess back what? Guess what? And that the correlation between substance abuse in your teen years and abusing prescription is so directly connected that the medical community is starting to look at that. And it was kind of interesting the way that they they described it. It wasn't a matter of not prescribing this to people who had histories, which I thought was kind of interesting. You know, when I meet up with a new physician, I always let them know my history of alcoholism and my sobriety so that they understand that. And we discuss medication. Like I've been in a uh, rollover car accident. There've been times where I've needed to take a pain killer um, to, you know, with a hand operation that needed, you know, was necessary. And they were very open just to prescribe it to me. It was good that I was in the mind that I needed to have a safekeeper, but it seems like the medical profession starting to catch up with that. Like maybe we don't hand out these prescriptions or if we do, they've even charged in this article that the insurance companies or insurers need to have wraparound services, which would be really interesting to see where they have safekeeping. You know, although it was not shocking that, uh, that people who identify having a substance use disorder when they're younger carry that on with them, meaning they will continue to either identify or, you know, have ramifications yes. of, of using substances again and be right sucked back into it. What was a little shocking was that they did that the University of Michigan in this article published 12%. Now, this we don't see in writing a lot. I mean, Mm -mm. you'll see it in some things, but 12% is a lot. You know, that's, you know, that that's, you know, 1.2 people out out of 10 people or 12 out of 100. Look, I'm a math major. You are Um, huge. You know, that that's a lot. And, you know, we I never heard that. I heard, well, maybe 10%, maybe 7%, maybe 5% of people have this. But but just the people that they could get to admit this are, are actually you know, viewed having this issue 12%, that is way increasing, especially for young people. It is, it is. And I mean, this is brought out in March, 2022. So it's very, very recent, but I have to wonder how the pandemic affected it and how access to these drugs have affected it. And I hope that this brings some light to the subject of recovery and that, and you know, we've reported this on the show as well, is that this is a national problem and it's, it is absolutely something that can take you out very, very young. And I think that people need to know that chances are your person, your child, your friend's child, they're not necessarily going to grow out of it. It needs to be addressed. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we talk about in 12 step programs 
and we talk about in therapy about thinking and you know of course of course coaching is really all about thinking right we're, we're yes. trying to you're, you're trying to get somebody in a state where they can start to think in a different kind of way because you know we know that the thinking with addicted people and people who are recovering from addiction is different the processing yes. is different but what was interesting about this article and i'm just going to read this right off what it says here is it says we must rethink how we screen and prescribe to individuals who have multiple substance use disorder symptoms in their past because they might need additional help to take their medication safely right. and I think that is so great because I have to tell you from somebody who, you know, I got sober in my twenties, I will mm -hmm. tell you, you're not going to like, you were talking about your hand surgery or, yes. you know, I have a friend who had dental surgery. There's going to be times in your life where you're going to have to take medication. And although drugs wasn't really my scene, that wasn't my thing. Um, it could trigger something. Right. So sure. It's like it's it's always been uncomfortable for me. I, I have to tell you, I'm going to be honest with you. It's always been uncomfortable because we hear so many different conflicting things. Twelve step group says it. Therapy says one thing. The doctor says something else. And I exactly. feel that the recovered person is stuck right in the middle. Absolutely. And uh, I I know you know when I had I had something like twenty something stitches in my finger. Well, you don't heal from that like they were like no you have to take this medication you have to stay uh, ahead of it because the nerve the nerves you know that are in your finger and i remember i had a really great sponsor and a great therapist who said you'll be okay just give the medication to somebody else and have them hand it out and when you are under the influence the idea that you don't have access to it is wonderful and so i hope this becomes a protocol for for everyone with all medications we've certainly seen the opiate crisis you know take down corporations, individuals, it needs to be discussed. The prescription, you know, uh, prescription drugs. Uh, they also go on to talk about uh, how easily uh, the, the test shows with, you know, tranquilizers and things that we pass out for anxiety. Again, figuring out the trauma as a child, going in and intervening with the family system, because we know that there's stuff that's going wrong uh, in the family, it is definitely the way to go. They're going to start a new study with stimulants, which I think will be really interesting to see the correlation between stimulants that are passed out with ADHD medication and substance abuse disorders and yeah. later on trouble. So it'll be really fascinating to watch. Well, the co-authors of the the study is include John uh, Schulenberg, Philip uh, Vilez, and uh, Vita McCabe, and we should actually have them come onto the show. One of them come onto the show and talk with us about it because it was you know through the Texas State University originally, I believe, mm -hmm. and uh, the National Institute of Drug Abuse is doing the study. And what what I find is this disconnect with the knowledge that doctors have and i and i when i say that i'm not criticizing doctors mm -mm. necessarily as as much as i am the uh people who provide them the information right but i i will right. tell you i have had doctors when i have said hey listen um i i'm in recovery can we talk about what this is before i take it yes look at me and say well i'm prescribing it to you uh you need it 
Yes. There is no, if I prescribe it, then it's safe. And you know yeah. what we found through marijuana, and this is a very controversial subject. Uh -oh. uh -huh. I look, look, let's be honest, Christina. A lot of these kids got sucked in. Mm -hmm. A lot of the substance disorder is all marijuana related. Yes. At first, that is the gateway. They get sucked in because it's quote organic and quote right. safe, right? Yes. That's how it's marketed. And yes. it's not organic. And it's not safe a lot of the times. Generally, and, no. And, and, and sometimes it's prescribed by doctors. So just because it's prescribed by doctors doesn't mean that doctors really going to understand how it's going to work for you, right? Well, yeah, we have that in the, in the uh, Oxycontin case. It was yeah. marketed as non-addictive. It was. It was targeted. And we've seen some some you know litigation that's come to pass where there have been companies held accountable for their marketing. But I do believe that these kind of studies bring a larger conversation that it can happen to anyone, anyone's child. It could absolutely happen to them. And if 12%, which is probably a little bit on the lower side, because as you said, not everybody's going to be honest about it. It is really important to keep having the conversations about what it does to your brain and who you are when you have a substance abuse disorder. Well, you know, the thing is, is that we, the thing that I think it makes a difference about adolescence is, is that drugs are more prevalent in medical treatment than they were. I know that when mm. I was in my twenties, right? Right. Um, they're much more likely, <clears throat> in my opinion, to mm -hmm. prescribe you something if you have any kind of emotional disturbance right. and where, where I think this is so problematic. And you know, if people are listening to this, I just want to be clear Look, Christina and I are not doctors and no. there are serious things that do need uh, medical intervention with drugs yes. and addictions, very serious. And you, you need to listen to doctors. You have to find a doctor you trust and you need to listen to them and really take that in because I have seen a lot of people not take medications uh, and get wiped out. Right. Like, right. so, or go through a tremendous amount of pain when that pain could have been managed. You know, I had a surgery, Christine, at the beginning of COVID and I was very concerned because I had not been under the, I had not been out. Right. right? I'd been awake and aware and alive. Yes. By, propelled by God in my own jet fuel. A little, yeah, a little caffeine. <laughs> for 20 something plus years, right. In recovery. So, you know, you know, 28 or something, 27 years of recovery, just going along, going along, going along. And this was the first time that I wasn't going to be awake and aware and alive. And mm -hmm. I had a lot of, I was, I'm going to be honest. I was super nervous about it. Of course. Yes. And, you know, and I had a conversation with my doctor and he kind of blew, I'm going to be honest. He blew it off at the beginning and I had really? to actually stop him and say, mm -hmm. no, I want to talk to the anesthesiologist. Yes. I need you to listen to me. This is important to me. Mm -hmm. You know, I have long-term recovery. And then, and he then took a beat and sat down and said, Hey, listen, I want to tell you what we're going to give you is, mm -hmm. is the most non-habit for me. Good. What we're going to give you, right. Is, is this, and he did, he said, and it made me feel better. And I had time to talk to the anesthesiologist instead right. of them just rushing me into surgery, because a lot of it, we know, Christina is psychological, right? Like, yes. The reality, I'm not going to go out because I had a surgery or whatever, but there's fear there mm -hmm. that, oh my God, this is the unknown. I don't want to go back to a, a place of uncontrollability. Right. And we've seen people get taken out, you know, people that maybe did not have an abuse 
problem, you know, get prescribed pills that were, you know, supposedly safe. We've seen them, you know, have the Oxycontin dry, you know, dry up. We've seen the doctor feel good and the people that needed to go out of business, go out of business. And these people are on the streets purchasing heroin and they never would have been anywhere near it without that one prescription that yeah. got them started. And that's why I say it's important to recognize that it is not them. It's us. It's us. It's our kids. You know, I have a good yeah. friend whose son didn't come home from college because the first time he went out and partied, there was, you know, something inside of it. We've talked about propofol and and the things, yeah. fentanyl and the things that are in it. So it's important to keep having these conversations. I'm glad that they're catching up and and studying it. Well, you know, prepping for the show, Christina, and you and I just talk as friends and we'll talk all the time. It's like, oh, did you read that story about ketamine? Right. And fraternities and sororities. And we're like, and like, I'm horrified by that on one, on one side, but then on the other side, I see a lot of hope with younger people because yes. one of the things that isn't happening with younger people is when they identify as an alcoholic or drug addict or having any kind of addiction issue, sex, uh, food, right. dependency, the stigma is not there like it used to be. Thank and God. people are encouraging to say, right on, you don't, yep. you're sober, you don't drink, right? Now, there might be people here and there that don't feel that way. But by and large, I have never seen a a, a bigger group mm -hmm. of of the community, of, of, of the world, be more accepting to people wanting to try to get help if they identify as having an addiction problem. Way different from the generation that we grew up in in recovery. Absolutely. Absolutely. And they are embracing mental health and the concerns about mental health. You know, we did a show on Wednesday about trauma and trauma is often the base of a substance abuse problem. You know, as an interventionist, we can go into countries, see a traumatic event happen, whether it's a war, and you can literally see it start affecting families. And I think that the more we know about that, the more that we understand it, the more that we can help and promote good conversations and doctors can become aware and parents don't have to hide it. They can get help. It's the most important thing. And I think one of the other things that I wanted to bring up here, they don't mention this in this University of uh, Michigan uh, article, but I think one of the things with adolescents identifying as somebody who suffers or has recovered from addiction they don't want to be stigmatized in the medical community. They don't, they don't care about their friends on Instagram right. or TikTok, but they don't want that in a folder, in a file right. to be used against them. Right. Like, and, and that, and that I've heard a lot. It's just like, mm. you know, when there might be resources available to say, no, you know, I don't want to do that. And it's so crazy that, that society still looks at it like this because the medical community looks at it like this, because I think when you get sober young, there's a huge gift there, Christina. Absolutely. You, you, you have, you're going to live a much healthier life. I know right. because I have not had drugs and alcohol since, uh, you know, 20, you know, my late twenties, it puts me in a way better position health-wise. Absolutely. Check those boxes off on the preventative health. You know, no, yeah. I don't, you know, I don't drink alcohol. No, I don't do drugs. Right. So and and it's a, it's really an advantage for people. It really is. The more and more we find out about it. 
It really is. It truly, truly is. You're exactly right. And I hope that people keep embracing that and we'll keep talking about it so that it becomes less shame-based. Absolutely. You know, great segment. Thanks for bringing uh, this article to my attention, Christina. You know, one of the things I would like to mention before we go on to the next segment here is the Recovered Life community. Guys, if you're not part of this, it is the most amazing thing. And I want to tell everybody, you know, Christina and I come on here and we scream, Recovered Life, Recovered Life, Recovered Life. Why this is so important? Because it's so great. There's so much value there. Whether you've been sober a day, you're trying to get sober, or you've been sober for three, four, five decades, the Recovered Life community has something for you. We've got a ton of exclusive content in there. And here's the best thing about it. It takes less than a minute to sign up and it's 100% free. And you can connect with like-minded people and live your best recovered life all on recoveredlife.us. So guys, if you are not on that, please, please, please join it now. That's recoveredlife.us, recoveredlife.us. So Christina, coming up, TGIF Sober. Yay. this quick little break. Okay. You're listening to The Recovered Life Show. And welcome back to The Recovered Life Show. So glad that you're still here with us. Can't wait to get on to the TGIF Sober. But before we do that, I want to remind everybody that this episode is being brought to you by Recovered Life contributors and people like you. Please continue to like, share, follow, leave us a comment so we can continue the discussion and visit info.recoveredlife.us where you can join that network that we were just talking about and leave a donation that allows us to continue to help others. That's info.recoveredlife.us. So Damon, are you ready? I am so ready for TGIF Sober. You know, this is my favorite uh, episode of the week. I always mm-hmm. say it is a cocktail party that you will leave feeling better than when you came in. Right. People you really want to hang out with. So yes. TGIF Sober, here we go. So yes. how was your week, Christina? Your week in recovery. What did you learn? What, what happened on the community? What cool conversations did you have? We had a wonderful conversation on Tuesday in the neuro room uh, in Recovered Life Discussions where we really dove deep into shame for a second week in a row, but also some of the other things that come around shame. We discovered and really discussed self-compassion, what that looks like. We talked about the difference between a healthy shame and a toxic shame. We talked about humiliation, which I think is something that is isn't easy to talk about, but we talked about the source, about how humiliation is almost as dangerous as shame. And I think in today's world, in the climate that we're going through, that it's some it's a little bit easier for people to humiliate other people and for it to be commonplace. And there was just a really wonderful discussion about how damaging that is to the human spirit and how it creates violence. And I was thinking about you know, the times, because we do talk about trauma a lot and the times that, uh, you know, that I was walking around with shame and I, you know, versus guilt, shame is who you are. You're, you are bad versus guilt, which is you feel bad about something you've done. Mm -hmm. And, uh, the third one is humiliation where somebody points out something that you've done and shames you. And I was thinking about how attached that is to trauma. And I think it's just really great for us to have the conversation about it. 
Yeah, I, I love this. You know, this has been what the second week that we mm -hmm. have kind of brought in this topic on the recovered life discussions and exciting news, guys. If you're listening to the show here, uh, we are going to start replaying those recovered life discussions on the podcast. So uh, if you subscribe to the podcast, you're going to get those recovered life discussions in between the live shows because they're so great. You know, we boil so down and we get in with the community and the community shares about what's going on. You know, I want to tap on something real quick, Christina, about what you said about uh, about being humiliated yes. versus humility. You know, we hear yes. this a lot in recovery. And I always, you know, I always thought, well, it's good to have humility. It's being right-sized. Yes. Right-sized for the thing. But humiliation is something totally different. Um, and I, you know, I was thinking about during that discussion and listening to it, I was saying, you know, so many times when we're talking about shame, and humiliation, we're the ones that are actually humiliating ourselves right. so many times by the way in which we think about ourselves. Right, right. We're, we're continuing the violence against ourselves with our self-talk and with, you know, what we've done. If you keep reliving what you've done, if you don't go in and clean it up, you are continuing the pain and it's not helping anyone. It's not helping anyone and the humiliation we may feel about having an alcohol problem you know that usually comes from this outside world that is making it a moral issue and it is so not a moral issue um there's just too much evidence there's just too much uh research that's being done that's proven that some people get addicted to alcohol. We don't know exactly why, but that's a normal function of the brain. And so I really loved tearing down that word humiliation and looking at it because that is when you don't feel like you deserve the way that people are judging you. And the way well, to, yeah. yeah, the way to counteract that is to tell somebody. You know, to well, share. I think that somebody said, you know, in the Wednesday room, it was like in the discussion there, they were like, you know, put down the knife, stop yes. trying to kill yourself all the time. You know, it's, I believe humility is super important and, mm -hmm. you know, I, it sometimes is not attached to shame. No. Sometimes I think you need to know, like, but I think in recovery, this is where the whole discussion of humility kind of gets off the track a lot of times because it's so misunderstood right. that humility is humiliation. Not at um, all. And it's not about the self-deprecating stuff. It's really about being right-sized. And I think sometimes humility is knowing when to stand up and be the leader, just yes. as much as humility is knowing when to be the observer and, observer and follower. Right. It's not right. always being in the background no. and this thing. It's not really about that. It's knowing what the appropriate level or energy that you should be putting forth in certain activities in your life. Yeah, taking the next right step, taking the next indicated step is often the way that I understand it. And yeah, being um, self-centered, even if you're self-deprecation, you're still only thinking about yourself. It's still self-centeredness, you know, and it's usually very violent and painful and it doesn't allow you to become useful. I think when somebody is humble, they are willing to be useful and that can be leading a team. That can really be that. It's not this meekness. That's not what it means. Well, I have to tell you, so much of the times that we're talking about in these rooms, a sense of power comes up. Mm -hmm. And this is something that I've really learned that I've had a breakthrough with. You know, 
we always say one of the best lines of uh, of the big book in Alcoholics Anonymous is lack of power was our dilemma, right? Like, right. and you know, I've used that a lot with myself and with other people because it just encapsulates what's actually going on with us a lot of the times. It's like the outward frustration comes from the lack of power to mm -hmm. really do anything about it. And I think sometimes what happens, uh, what happens is, is that we sometimes misinterpret people mm -hmm. and we think maybe that we're being criticized or we start to criticize ourselves because right. we can't really cut ourselves a break. Right. Because mm -hmm. we think it has to be perfect all the time. And the yeah. reality is, is perfection is being able to let go of that control. Yes. And, and to say, you know what? I really don't. And the, the being right sized about it, what I found so interesting about this and what I've really taken away from this is being right size and having the right amount of, of humility is to be able to understand where I do not discernment, where yes. I do not have the power to enact change. It's so, so the good. feeling that I want to, the feeling yes. that I want to, right? Well, and, and that's it's okay to feel frustrated that I, that I want to. Right, right. It is okay. But understanding that you don't have to, and you're not supposed to, that's the right size, you know, having, having that feeling that leads me to uh, want to discuss what we discussed in the Wednesday room, setting healthy boundaries was this uh, resistance, the resistance to life as we know it causes so much suffering. The resistance in my life has always caused me so much suffering. I'm, I'm resisting what life is bringing to my doorstep. And I'm saying it's not supposed to be like that. I know better than the universe. I know better than, than higher power or God, as I like to refer uh, to my higher power. I know better than God. It's not supposed to be like this. Yeah. So I'm going to resist it. It's okay to be frustrated. Don't even, I mean, don't resist that you're frustrated, accept it. And it is, it is definitely, um, you know, deeper level, multiple layered types of emotions, but that's one of the, the reasons why we have those rooms is so that we can discuss it. Yeah. You know, um, that's what we really started to dive into what we've been diving into a lot with the Thursday discussion mm -hmm. with my unstuck group and you know, we're really focusing on who you think you are mm. versus who you think you are. And <laughs> why, why I say that twice is because I think so many people come in beat up into yes. recovery. And this is the thing that's, um, you know, this is the thing I'm just going to say as, as somebody who's really been involved in transformation, transforming my own life and then helping others do the same is that one of the, one of the things is, is that we overestimate our ability to do certain things and we and we drastically underestimate our ability to do certain things all simultaneously and when yes. people come into the program christina we see this a lot in transitional coaching you know we see this in the discussions that people come in they come in beat up right and they're stripped of who they of that like look they just really don't feel that they can do anything right because they've been rocked and uh -huh. their idea of themselves, of who do they really think they are, has been shattered. Right. Uh, because they thought they had control over drugs and alcohol, but they re but we realized we don't have control over drugs and alcohol. No. And this shatters us. This is, th this is what I think a lot of people don't understand. If it was strawberries, we just let it go. But <laughs> this is big. This is big for people who come in for addiction. I think people that, that don't suffer from addiction 
do not understand. It is like everyone in your life that you ever knew died mm -hmm. all simultaneously mm -hmm. when you come to the realization that your best friend alcohol is killing you. Exactly. And it, it feels very stuck. I love the name of your, your discussion on Thursdays because you do feel stuck. And I understand the fear. And I, I because I know I remember being in that place. I, too, got sober at the age of 27 thinking I have to have this to live, but it's killing me. What am I going to do next? And it is that leap of faith to just kind of start walking through it. I had no idea because I had built so much of my life up to be, you know, the party girl and this is what I do. And I, I work hard, I play hard and, you know, not really, you know, just having that cycle. I had to live to drink and drink to live. And when I finally, when it bit me back to the point where I realized it and I had to concede inside, I don't know how to live. I do not know how to be Christina. And that was the well, beginning this is the of my new life. Yeah. But this is where the superpower lies. You know, I think it's like letting go of this old idea of who we think that we were. Mm -hmm. Okay. That no longer works for us, obviously, right. because we're in recovery. We're doing stuff. We have to take a hard look at our lives to be able to say this. But here's the thing that's interesting that I think this makes it different than the average person who works up, wakes up one day that doesn't have a, uh, any kind of addiction issue. Um, they go to kind of a self help mm -hmm. scenario. What I find is, is that most of the stuff that happens with recovery, that's really good and impactful for me, hasn't been a self help program. It's been a self abandonment program. Yes. I had to let go of what I was holding on so tightly of who and what I thought I was in right. order to recreate myself mm -hmm. like a snake, just shed that skin, recreate mm -hmm. myself into something that I knew I could become. Right. Mm -hmm. And this is, this is the, this is the, the great thing. And I got to tell you, this is what excites me about addiction recovery. Like, is yes. that, um, you know, man, if you, if you are a change junkie, like if you like transformation, like addiction recovery is the game for you, right? Because you see things, man, like look Wednesday, your room, people like totally breaking down. And if you haven't heard it, go on a recovered life and see it. People totally raw and said like broken mm -hmm. and you see how they have come back mm -hmm. to recreate something that's been just amazingly beautiful. It's the paradox of surrender, right? To surrender to a process, to surrender to something greater than than you are and understanding that self-reliance has gotten you nowhere. And, you know, through those kinds of actions, through recovery actions, through showing up and doing the deal and feeling the feels and writing it out and, you know, all of the things that we do and are encouraged to do, you start to really start having a sense of self. It's pretty amazing. It is, you know, and this is what's exciting about the Recovered Life show. And this is what's exciting to me about the Recovered Life community is that you see this firsthand, right? Mm -hmm. And I look, I know that there's people that are listening to the show that might listen to this, you know, it's, uh, it's April 22nd, but you might hear this in July. You might hear this you know, in October or next year. And you're thinking, man, like I am totally stuck. I go in and out of recovery constantly. Right. I've never really been able to make it work. And maybe this is just my life. And you know, what I love about this and what I love about recovered life is I get to witness people 
where that's not so. Mm-mm. That people just make these radical transformations by getting to a place where they can let go of who they think they are mm-hmm. to create uh, who they really can be. And those kind of people in the world, Christina, I just have to say, those are the change makers that I find. Yes. Yes. Those are the change makers, right? They really are. And what we exchange, you know, I've seen the meme, you know, I gave up one thing for everything, but I almost lost everything for one thing. And it's totally, totally true. That ability to surrender and start moving it. You know, addicts and alcoholics are hardworking people. They're they're brilliant people. They're smart people. They're sensitive people. And they didn't have the life skills to live. I didn't have the life skills. My friends didn't have the life skills to live without anesthesia for so long. And once we get through that and we start addressing our issues, the sky is the limit. Well, that's the thing also with coaching. I find sponsorship, uh, therapy, sometimes even doctors, sometimes it's that holding that space, Mm -hmm. right? For people to achieve what we know they can achieve. Right. And this is the thing that's really beautiful about it is that anyone that is recovered, and this is something that 12 Steps found that is shocking, right? Like we look at this, but now we go, man, what the 20s and the 30s, they were messing around with this stuff. Right. And it works today. This mm-hmm. whole peer support idea of like, well, I have a day, I can help somebody else out that has an hour. Right. You know, this idea of being of service, this is a magical superpower for people in recovery and when harnessed correctly and when harnessed and being right size with the right kind of humility and, right. and looking at it through the right lens. And then just what you always say all the time, Christina is just hard fashion, like old fashioned hard work right. in your life. That's really where the magic happens. Truly, truly. And we all have it within us. Um, you know, there's a portion in the big book that talks about, you know, every, this is welcome for everyone. And people who are constitutely, how do you say that? Incapable of honesty. Yes, uh, incapable of honesty. They don't get it. But if you have just a little bit of willingness to even be willing to stick around, you can you yeah. can stay. You know, you yeah, can and with speak. a little bit of willingness will come the awareness, and with mm-hmm. that awareness will come actions that you should take. And when doing those actions, change will come. Man, this has been a really great, I love this segment because we really get down about what's going on with us, what we're experiencing. Um, Next week is going to be great. We're starting these Recovered Life discussions, integrating them into the podcast. You know, Christina, many people have asked, how can they actually get onto a Recovered Life discussion? They want to take place. They they don't want to just listen to the show, Christina. They They want to be be the show. They right. want to be part of it, right? And right. we always say the easiest way to do this is to reach out to us at recoveredlife.us because we put all of the content that we're doing in there, all of the stuff. And we are on Clubhouse recording these discussions Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and soon, happy to announce, we're actually going to add another sh- another uh, discussion that we've got coming up on a business topic soon. Uh, We're working on that. So we're soon to be five discussions a week, which is really great that you can, that anyone, right, Christina, can jump in on. If you're in recovery, all you need is the app. You could jump in. So go to recoveredlife.us. That's recoveredlife.us. Christina Dennis, episode 101, Friday, April 22nd. Everybody be safe. Everybody be safe this weekend. Thank you.
It's going to be great. Everybody have a wonderful weekend and we will see you next week. Keep the conversation going. Join Recovered Life, a community of like-minded people who are looking to live their best recovered lives. Membership is free and you can apply at recoveredlife.us.